Hi, everybody. I am so delighted to bring back Tannis Hallowell with us today. We've talked with her before about her connection with the Elemental Kingdom and her book with a leprechaun family that she's been in connection with for many years called Lloyd. Now, I know some of you remember that. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's a little more edgy even, and it has to do with the notion that all of us are hybrid, almost all of us are hybrids of some kind or another. With her book, Hybrids, so you think you're human. So let's get to Tannis and we're going to just dive right into it. Tannis, it's so good to see you again. We've had a little break here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's always a treat to be interviewed by you and to know you. I know. We've developed a lovely friendship over the years. So let's dive into this. You just came back from Iceland, which you said was the most magnificent, beautiful company country you'd ever seen. And you had a couple of what we would normally call paranormal experiences, where you encountered both a giant and a dragon. And you do have the ability to see into just slightly off phase realms, which gives you an interesting insight. And it's perfect because it feeds right into what we're going to talk about today, because a dragon is one of these hybrids, uh, creatures that we're going to discuss. So first of all, you're a young woman, you were a psychotherapist, and you started noticing that people were wired very differently. Their personalities were just intrinsically, their motivations, everything intrinsically, so very different. So how did you leap from that understanding to where you are today in the notion that people are actually hybrid creatures ourselves? Is that a big question? A big leap. <laughs> Um, I think the fact that I had worked with Lloyd in Ireland and Lloyd being a leprechaun and heard all about what leprechauns were like and also other elementals, that that had to come first. If I hadn't had that experience with um, a leprechaun, a nature spirit, who wanted to talk about... Um, working with humans and how they work with humans, I don't think I ever would have been able to make the leap because I thought my life was devoted, as you said, as a psychotherapist to work with humans. But having had that experience of the elementals and him saying that elementals had been incarnating into human evolution for thousands of years, um, especially hundreds of years, gave me the inroads, sort of the foundation, so that when some different kind of people started coming to me in psychotherapy, I was able to say, hmm, I think this could be an elemental hybrid. Well, you know, the work of Dr. Linda Backman, I don't know if you're aware of her. She's in, I believe she's in uh, Boulder, Colorado. She is a um, psychotherapist and hypnotherapist. She uses hypnotherapy a lot and regression work on people. And what's happened in recent years is more and more of her clients, a large percentage of them now, are coming in saying they remember incarnating here also from other places, more kind of star system people, which also feeds into this hybrid um, reflection that you're talking about because you have different categories of hybrid you know, beings, including those from the cosmos, from the stars. And she's just seeing a tremendous uptick in that right now. So can you tell me your own view on that? 
when I started seeing so many people that were elemental hybrids, and I realized they felt they didn't fit in, that they weren't exactly human. And they had certain characteristics, which I started to identify with elementals, such as addictions, for example. Um, it could be addictions to alcohol or drugs or sex. Um, these are one of the characteristics. Um, charming. Then I started seeing people who were not elemental hybrids, but they still felt that they didn't fit in. And I started to realize that some of them were also hybrids. And so I started to investigate that more closely. And from that, I've come up with 22 possible mm -hmm. hybrids evolving on the earth. And um, I researched all the myths of the world and also archaeological and scientific evidence about these various possible hybrids that I was noticing because I thought that that would help create a bridge for people between, oh, my God, this is a weird idea. We better throw it out to, hey, she's right. There really are myths around the world, for example, of dragons and the certain characteristics of dragons. So that helped me a lot. I've been involved with this now for probably about 25 years, but I didn't write a book about it until about, uh, you know, eight years ago. I love the book. It's such a fun book. And it's interesting because when you go in here, it is right here, hybrid. So you think you're human. Um, when you go into this, of course, everybody loves a good kind of typing ourselves and categorizing ourselves. Everybody loves that. Everyone loves, you know, five ways to know this and that about yourself. Well, this one is a little more complex than that, but it's fascinating because when you go into it, you have to look at the ups and downsides of each of these creatures, each of these hybrid creatures that we are. And oftentimes we go in because of more kind of common lore, especially in the new age community. Well, I'm a being of light, so I'm an angel and, you know, that sort of thing. So we make these assumptions about what kind of being we are. And when you start looking at it, take a little self-test in the book and looking at it, you find out you might be something entirely different than that. So you had to go through this with yourself and you've been through this journey with a number of people and you give examples of each one in the book. How often are people surprised by the type that they appear to be representing in this lifetime? I think it for most people is um, is reassuring that they feel, oh, at last, at last I can see myself. You know, I'm not going crazy. I understand now why my relationships are as they are. I understand why I chose the work in the world that I chose. I I understand why I get irritated at blah blah, you know. Yeah. So so for many people, it's ah, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I can see that. In fact, I was talking with a couple of women this morning about the book prior to doing this interview, and the reason I brought the other one up is because oh well, so and so told me I'm an angel. You know, so and so told me I'm a fairy. But the reality is, for me certainly, when I looked into it and had some, you start it's kind of self analysis on one level. Besides the self test, I thought, wow, 
that fits. The fits, I mean, nothing fits 100%, but it fits a good 80 to 90%. And it did explain a lot about my personality, how I behave and interface in the world. And it so happened that's the one you intuitively understood as my type as well. And it, there is a reassurance that comes with that. Don't try to be something you're not, whatever that is. The notion of junk DNA, the fact that science cannot figure out what we are, it could it be that it's influenced by the fact that we are these hybrid creatures and carry a different DNA from each of these types of beings? Science has only been able to figure out a, a very small amount of DNA and what it does. And so um, we have junk DNA, which is really RNA DNA, as you know. And we are only able to look at physically what's happening at this point. And I'm talking about the programming that is happening more on the etheric level, that we're being programmed by these, um, by spirit and the wonderful beings that we are, that are helping us with our evolution. And we're being programmed by these in an etheric level. So that's on a, a causal and an astral and etheric yes. level. And science just can't trace that yet. Right. So, so I think that they're going to be able to in the future. And even when things become physical, we know that right now we are developing hybrid beings like the polar bear and the grizzly bear in Canada have now mated to make a, a fertile hybrid. Or you've got, um, you know, a bottlenose dolphin that has bred with a, a kind of whale that's called a wolfen. If this happens so easily in nature, why can't we embrace the fact that we also have been influenced by many different evolutions, which are well known in our myths? Absolutely. And this all comes down to the notion of having a body elemental that is with us and continually with us as we develop uh, lifetime to lifetime. And this is imprinted with where we were originally from, for example. Is that a fair way to say it? That's so that imprint is always coming in with us. Absolutely. So I think that we've got the collective consciousness of humanity. We have this hybrid nature that comes into us, and then we have our particular um, ancestry that comes down through our parents. So right now, when we're talking about where do we get our nature, we're only looking at the ancestry of our parents. We're right. not looking at these other two areas. This is coming. And so I categorized people into... Oh, it sounds so terrible. I categorize people. Um, but I developed three major categories for hybrids. There's the elemental category, and there's tons of them, gnomes and leprechauns and goblins and tree divas and all this. And these are beings that have a parallel evolution as humans on this planet. And so they create all the wonderful nature, and they're a little bit higher frequency than what we are. And that's the first major category. Then there's a second category, which I call the human cousins. And the human cousins are the beings that started their evolution with the humans, 
but they broke off their evolution at some point in time and went into the sea, for example. So we have the whales, we have the dolphins, uh, we ha- and you know we know, for example, mer, mer people, the mer people, people, people from the sea, which a lot of people relate to very strongly on this planet. Dolphins and mermaids, mer people. Absolutely, and I am going to be writing about the world of the Mer people at some point. Oh, this, I'm so excited! I am, I am. This book is down the road. They also are in a little higher frequency than us, um, but there are legends all over the world about this green race that existed at one time. And um, in Sumeria, for example, they talked about Oanis, who was a half-human, half-fish god who brought civilization to the Sumerians. And he was one of these people. Right, right. Yeah, so, so those are some of the human cousins. And then we have this whole other category, which are the star people, the cosmic people. And there you have the dragons. You have the Horus beings who are the, you know, the uh, bird beings of the Egyptians. Um, you have the angels, yes. And there are more angel hybrids than any other star people. So it's probably true that a lot of people, when they say, oh, I'm an angel, they could be, they could be right, actually. <laughs> um, but there were elves also that came originally from Sirius. Um, and they're a star, a star being. And there were the pan hybrids. Also Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, yes, that Zachariah Sitchin talked about in the book, The Twelfth Planet. And uh, he and I agree on some of the things he says about the Anunnaki. And on some maybe not, I wouldn't say identical thinkings. So, yes, these are all beings that... Um, have entered our evolution, obviously with the permission of the karmic board and the beings who oversee our evolution, to help us in some way to develop a quality in some way. That doesn't mean it isn't going to, at some point, have rocky road things happening to us, and especially with the Anunnaki. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So every person that is on this planet, would you say all of us are imprinted with some kind of more ancient uh, template, whether it, as you say, whether it's elemental star people, etc. Is every one of us one of these or a, a, a multiple, a kind of a high, even a hybrid of a hybrid, would you say? Are there any just humans that have none of these imprints? I can't say honestly that I know the answer to that, um, in that I don't know every person. Well, that's true. <laughs> okay, so the people, but the people that you have met so far kind of fall into one of these, uh, one or uh, another of these types of hybrid beings, these typologies. Yes, and I think that there are other typologies that I 
finally at 22 said enough, LOL, you know, let's just focus on those because those are the ones you understand and see the best and can find the mythic evidence in the world for or the scientific evidence for. Um, but there are others that I didn't that I thought, hmm, this is a possibility and I didn't go into it. Interesting. Now I, I want to get into some specifics about some of the types. So like anyone that would watch you or, or meet you just at, at face value would say, oh, she's a little fairy. She's a little pixie, but you're way more than that. You have a uh, very um, powerful, wise soul centered at the, the, what appears to be on the outside, a little pixie. So let's just talk about yourself for a moment. Okay. And can yeah. we be kind of a crossbreed of these different hybrid species? Can we have elements of more than one, but simply have one that's more dominant, for example? Yes, we can. And this is especially true of star people. Um, star people could choose to go into many different evolutions when they came to the earth because their motivation was to serve and to help develop the consciousness of those people. So I really am initially a star person. And the kind of star person I am, I might as well say it, seeing you've introduced it, are you going to tell about yourself if I do this? Anyway, <laughs> that puts you on that puts you on the spot, doesn't it? I know. So so anyway, I'll tell you that, um, yeah, I am an L. I am an L, and the Ls came from Sirius. And the Ls are form builders. They are very good mentally. And people would say, you know, given my pixie-like personality, that that, you know, was highly unlikely. But I'll explain that in a minute. So, um, so I remember, I actually remember being here from the very beginning when the world was a ball of mist, creating form helping with my mind to create form. And so I do remember that. At one point, I remember being a person, And even as a child, um, I would be under the water in those little shallow ponds that they create for kids. And I'd be like four or five years old, and I'd be under the water looking up at the adults, and I'd think, I can breathe under the water. And then I'd think, oh, I better not. Maybe not now. Maybe that would scare some people. And so I'd choose not to. So I do remember that, and it's interesting that that comes from my, my father's side. Um, and I have existed in... Um, elemental worlds at, at different times. But when I went in, I didn't go in as an elemental. I went in to help the elementals. And this is one of the things about the L's. And it's interesting, the word L and elemental. And my last name, Hell Ewell. Yeah. All very interesting. 
And so I've always felt drawn to help elementals because elementals are helping the earth. And that has been my main goal, being here on the earth, help the earth. So elementals see me as a friend. And I was given the job to um, bring forward into the world books about elementals and their characteristics because they see me as a friend. And ultimately, who we associate with rubs off on us. Yes, that is true. I know. So some of this elemental pixie-ish nature has rubbed off on me and makes me more playful. And, um, and I'm glad of it. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. You have such a task in this lifetime in terms of bringing forward consciousness like every everyone in this field does. And you need some relief by being able to play in that little pixie elemental part of yourself. I know you swim in the ocean and you garden and you're part of nature. You, nature is a big part of your life. And the other thing is we're given the personality that will help to get our message across. Yes. And if I... If I came in as a pure L, L's are kind of stern, stoic, mental, maybe more introverted. Uh, we can be dogmatic and want our own way. Um, we can be know-it-alls and think we know the answers to everything. Um, and some of these characteristics may not be that desirable. <laughs> So spirit helped me to get a mother who, you know, was not an L, and, um, and then I could develop some of these other qualities. So well, this is good. The reason I asked you is because you know yourself well, and it can give people a basis of understanding how we can embody different traits like this, but still be true to a basic center trait that we've come in with. So thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing that with us. Let's go to Royal Elves. I think everybody's intrigued with that, particularly after some of a lot of the sci-fi um, films and, and novels and such that have come out over recent decades. So let's talk about Royal Elves. So Royal Elves are usually um, drawn to the arts. When they incarnate as a hybrid into our world, they, um, they're usually taller, slender, and they're really beautiful. And they have a magnetism, a charisma that others find amazingly attractive. And all elementals are better in the arts than humans. And that's their gift to us to incarnate and help us develop our arts. So royal elves especially, um, actors, actresses, um, I could name names, but that could get me into a lawsuit maybe. I don't right. know. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just think 
um, you know, gorgeous and uh, charming. And you can you all want to fall in love with them and you can't resist them. And they could also be dancers. They could be painters. They could be singers. Because they're so gifted, they could be pianists, musicians. I have um, a Royal L friend uh, for many years, and um, and he um, used to be asked by Princess Margaret to play for her, and yet he's not a professional pianist. Interesting. And he can just compose anything at any time, and he did um, stained glass windows and beautiful stained glass windows for years and years and years. And then when the market kind of went away for stained glass windows, just in the last little while, he switched to doing watercolors, like from nothing. And in his like 70s, and beautiful watercolors. So the versatility is innate. Yeah. The versatility of the amount of arts that he's good in. And um, yes, they're androgynous. They can be bisexual. They may or may not act on it. They may decide not to act on it. Um, all elementals are attracted to addictive substances, which I mentioned earlier. It can that be alcohol, drugs, sex. Any yeah. of the things that are, have a very sticky attractiveness to humanity. Yeah, very much so. And the reason they are attracted to it is because in their elemental world, they can spontaneously create whatever they want, anytime they want, just by thinking about it. So they can change their clothes, yeah. they can change their environment. So they find it boring being yeah. here. And slow, the the amount of time and resistance to creating and manifesting anything in this dimension, of course, is very slow. It does feel like there's a lot of resistance. So you can see where that frustration would set in to want to have a, a, a boost in feeling better through some substance because the manifestations aren't happening quickly enough. I get that. Yeah. Now, let's go on to the... Um, the second one, the human cousins, you call them, the human cousins. And let's take an example of one of the human cousins that may have been saved. I think a lot of people relate to mer people, right, in general. Uh, and I had the same experience as you. In fact, in dream time, I can breathe underwater. And yeah, and I can do it to get out of situations where people would not expect to find me. So I can go under the water, shallow or deep, and I can feel it. It's a process of... It's like the cilia in your nose, something, it it's kind of sounds crazy, but it can sep separate the the hydrogen from the oxygen. It's, it's interesting. And it yeah. turns, yeah. So anyway, let's, let's, so let's go into mer people. Not that I am one, I'm not, but let's talk about that. I first heard about somebody else talking about mer people when I was in my 30s. And it was um, a Cherokee medicine woman who's also uh, recognized as a Buddhist teacher. And her name is uh, Dahani Oahu. And she spoke about the green race that used to be on this planet. And sort of the penny dropped when this happened, you know. And I thought, God, I really identify with this. And then 
not long after that, I was traveling in the Philippines and I met a man by the name of Oanis, if you can believe it. And that was the name of the fish right. god, right? Sumeria. And he was an Iroquois. And he was there with the Peace Corps. And he was also a marine biologist. And he was working with one of the ecosystems that was was there, you know, to preserve it and look after it. Everything in his life pointed to this. Everything in his life. Preservation of health of the sea. Yeah. Everything in his life pointed to that. And there's a lot of stories in Southeast Asia. Um, and there he was, by the way, in Southeast Asia about the Mer people. A lot of stories in the Mediterranean about the Mer people. And when I was um, leading a group uh, to sacred sites of Egypt, we had uh, a, a Bedouin guide. And um, I had had this feeling, I will speak about someone who's already passed over, uh, Anwar Sadat. Um, I had a feeling that he, and he looked very much like my father, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. Because and you look nothing like that, but yes. No, I don't look at all like my father's side of the family. My friend, um, this, this guide, he had been a friend of Anwar Sadat, and he was telling me that the uh, green race, the Mer people, that they believed that the Bedouin were descended from this race. Very interesting. Yeah. It's counterintuitive since they're landlocked and living in more sandy, arid environments. Now they are. Now, but of course, yeah. The environment exactly. coming up from the sea has changed. And when when I was delving into the, the mer people on the earth, um, they were peace loving, but they had to come on the land in order to, you know, bear their children and things like that. But they spend most of the time in the water. And even now, there are people who are born with webbed feet, webbed hands. And yes. sometimes when their legs are fused, they uh, they call it medically, the name is mermaid syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and sometimes even some of their organs are fused. And if so, if anyone's born with this, they usually only make it, you know, first few years of life. These are throwbacks to this, you know, this gene. Yes. Where it used to be one of our races. And now the Mer people, they're still existing. They still have their own world, but it's a little bit higher frequency than our three-dimensional human right. world. Okay, so what about the kind of popular notions? For example, the story of the siren, the mermaids, the sirens that would call to the people on the land, the females would call to the males on the land and mesmerize and draw them in. I mean, this is a fairly popular myth, if you want to call it that, or reality. What do you know about that with the mermaids and their their interaction and effect on humans? Well, every time that you have one evolution of people taking dominance, they will want to kill out the other ones um, and demonize them. And they become evil. 
And so we can see that with the Olympic gods, the Greek gods, that, you know, said that the Titans were the evil ones and they demonized them. We can see it with Christianity and what they said about the satyrs, the pan hybrids, who they turned into Satan. Right. Right. So this is the same with the um the mermaids. The land dwellers. Yeah. The land dwellers um would come they, under the spell of they, these sirens yeah. who are going to draw them down into the sea and drown them, you know, seductresses. Yeah. And yeah. what they would drown them in is the idea of this collective unconscious. Yes. Because humans on the land were becoming more and more physical, wanting to be more and more dominant and work with their ego, and uh, which has had its repercussions. And the um, the the mermaid race, the mer people race, were especially attuned because they were water beings. They were especially attuned to the etheric and to the emotions and to the collective unconscious of the earth, the collective unconscious of humanity. And so these heroic land dwellers couldn't afford to be taken under the spell because that might raise their consciousness so they wouldn't be able to kill and pillage. <laughs> Beautifully put. I'm glad I asked that question because this extends to a lot of the other species as well. Yes. So now let's move into the star people. Um, and we already talked a little bit about elves. So perhaps um, many people that follow Egyptology, for example, are fascinated with the notion of Horus. Uh, so let's, as one example, take the Horus beings. Well, the Horus being was the Christ of Egypt. He was the son of Osiris and Isis. He uh, was the one who was fighting against Set who was the evil one in the Egyptian pantheon. So he was the Christ figure. He was, he was a bird hybrid. So his gift was farsight and being able to travel in space and time and to be able to see the future. And this, this being, I believe, comes from Arcturus the star system Arcturus. And this being is not appreciated at this particular time in our human evolution. Some of these other hybrids, if you like, their gifts are more appreciated. But the Horus being is usually quite introverted, doesn't push themselves forward, can be also very stern and stubborn. And so they don't have sort of the softer, amiable qualities that would endear them to humans and um, could even be intolerant of some of those. That could be some of the drawbacks. But when they trust someone, they trust that person. In several places in the world, they have found skulls that are you know, of different shapes. Mm -hmm. One is in Malta 
And there are some others in, in Central and South America that are a different shape than our typical human skull that could account for, once again, this hybrid, these hybrids. Okay, so when you have someone like a Horace being who has this gift of farsight, but is also kind of austere or stern in their demeanor and um, doesn't feel understood by others and might be judgmental of others, but has this gift, who would they naturally ally with? Because everybody must have a type of being that they're a little more compatible with or drawn to than another type. So for example, who would a horse being be drawn to, um, to help them feel more engaged in life or more full, whole? Well, first of all, physiologically, they're usually very slender, but very strong for their slenderness. So that would be their physical nature. So, And they may also be very athletic. Um, and they could have been like long distance runners or this kind of thing. So stronger than you would think for their, their body build. So you'd have to think, well, who would be attracted to that in the first place? Usually more introverted, more scholastic. People who are interested in, in discussion, but mental, mental processing. Um, but high mental processing of theory, um, ideas, um, this kind of thing. In essence, you would find oftentimes um, star people would gravitate towards star people. I think mostly you would find star people gravitating towards star people naturally. But does that mean that they would end up marrying that type? Um, or having friends of that type? Not necessarily, because depending on their, their, the kind of star person they are and what their purpose is in this life. Because most star people are here for service, service to the earth and service to help develop consciousness on this planet. So because of that, they may end up in very strange relationships. <laughs> but but a, a natural affinity for a Horus being would be scholastic, so maybe academia. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about one that is oftentimes viewed uh, a little more negatively, and you say that's not really fair. Let's talk about the beings who are heavily stamped with the energy of the Anunnaki. Okay, um, the Anunnaki that Zachariah Sitchin made popular with his book, The Twelfth Planet. So they came here about 4,000 years ago, 400,000 years ago, and um, they were brought here from another planet, which we can call the Twelfth Planet, and they were brought here as prisoners so they were probably in Africa, they were probably mining for gold. And what happened was they escaped. And well, why wouldn't you? If you were a prisoner, wouldn't you want to escape? Because they couldn't go back to their home world. They were laggards. So they were holding the evolution of their world back. And that's why they were brought here. And so the caretakers who were looking after that. They were not prisoners themselves. And 
these people are still here and they were way in advance of us technologically in those days. They were way advanced in us intellectually. They got involved in genetic engineering. They were the ones who created the pig from primitive humans and animals. And that's why there are so many taboos in our world about eating pork, for example. We've forgotten the reason, but that's it. And even now we use pig skin and pig organs because they're closer to us than than chimpanzees, for example. And you're so, saying this was the result of a, of a genetic engineering project by the absolutely by the Anunnaki long ago, long yeah. ago. Yeah. So, um, so now they're still here, and they um, they're involved with technologies, and they're way in advance of us this way. They're more strategic than most. Com- most uh, humans, they can think think way ahead of us, you know, as far as steps go. Um, they are they are still involved in genetic engineering. They're involved in computers, um, any of these kinds of of endeavors, finance, high finance. However, I want to say something. A lot of people hear all this stuff and they think, Good God, we've been invaded. We've been invaded by them, and they're all evil. That is not the case. The ones that were guarding the prisoners, they could have felt very guilty, and they could also still have some of the same gifts um, and talents, but they can be working in the same industries trying to create good things. Yes, that makes perfect sense, because that's usually what souls do on a trajectory, is try to balance out any kind of negative footprint we've left behind in incarnations. So that makes total sense. Absolutely. And a lot of the Anunnaki um, have reformed. I have I have had Anunnaki um, studying with me. And they, I mean, the downside is they could be impatient and think that they're smarter than everyone else. <laughs> and they can move much quicker mentally than most people. Um, so they can, that's sort of the downside. The danger for them is egoistic pursuits, doing things for themselves and not for the world. And their their dilemma and what they need to work with is developing love and compassion. I think it's important to realize that some are here and have done great disservice to our world. And yet the good thing is, why were they allowed to be here by spirit? And they were, wow, to develop our free will, to develop free will on this planet and discernment, to learn to discern what is good and what is not good, what is aligned to spirit, what is not wonderful. Uh, True. It's true. Everything for purpose. Okay. Thank you for that. And now let's go on to the one that everybody loves, angels. Everyone loves angels. They are the good people. And um, it's funny because uh, angels may have had a very diverse life, uh, served in many different ways, um, done many things that would have harmed others. However, angels always seem to have horseshoes. So they get away with it. (laughs) And they get away with it. 
And uh, my uh, my partner is an angel hybrid. And uh, and the difference between elves and angels is elves develop the form and angels imbue the form with whatever quality they have. And yeah, and a lot of angels are aligned to Archangel Michael, who was a warrior angel committed to defeating evil, if you like. Yes. So um, there are a lot of those angels on our planet currently. Thank you, because uh, I think a lot of people relate to that, especially people watching this. So, yes, I mean, we can't go into the rest of it because we would literally have a five-hour conversation. So I want to encourage people to go pick up the book. It's so fun and also very revelatory because not only does it give you, I think, a sense of self and comfort with self and acceptance of self, but also for those around us because we are all uniquely intrinsically really different. And that's what I love about what you've done here, Tannis. And you asked me earlier if I'd be willing to, if you did it, if I'd do it. And so you recognized me because we've had similar trajectories as an L. And I would say that's accurate when I've looked at all, looked at it from a number of levels. And yeah, for all the good and for all the negative of it, I I believe I'm certainly more an L than anything else. However, one thing that's been interesting to me is as what shows up as an L, which is a star being that's been part of the creative process from the beginning, and I too remember the beginning before I was in form here, um, is that we've been to other places prior to that. So many times people will point me out as being a Pleiadian, for example, and Pleiadians relate to the mer people. And yes, I feel very comfortable underwater. And I do feel, I can feel that. I, like I say, I even dream breathing underwater comfortably and such, but that's not what I am in this lifetime. It's not what I came to do. It's just a place I've been. And so I'm stamped with some of that energy before the serious part of the journey was the Pleiadian part of the journey. And I know a bit of my trajectory in terms of the planetary system. So I say that because I think a lot of people can be confused when they dive into this saying, well, I'm a little of this and a little of that. Well, we've been stamped with all of these different qualities through our long, long incarnation paths through other star systems before even arriving to earth. And if you could just comment on that further so that people can feel comfortable when they say, yeah, but I'm there's a little bit of this too. Yes, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a very important point. And and this book, even if people don't agree with it, or they find themselves in five different categories, um, it was really written just to get people interested in exploring. Yes. You know, to unfreeze us from um, from this mindset, which is a kind of hypnosis around, oh, well, we're looking for the missing link and we've all come up from sort of some sort of, uh, you know, chimpanzee-like creature, right? And I just wanted to break that mold and get them to start thinking really much larger and to look for themselves. And as you said, looking for yourself 
you have realized that you've come through many different lifetimes in many different places. And so we've been influenced by all of these things. And this is why each of us is totally unique, totally unique. We are, and we are hybrids. Uh, we're hybridized hybrids. <laughs> we, we, we have are. so much influence that before we're ever born that is stamped into our field, knowledge, unconscious remembrances from other places. We're such a fascinating species. I, I find humanity fascinating, but I want to thank you for making us even more fascinating so we can even find glimpses of ourselves that we hadn't seen before that weren't acknowledged or maybe something we didn't care to share with others in terms of how we perceived ourselves. And your book is wonderful in allowing people to see themselves in a really, truly fresh new way. I am very grateful that you took the time to study the myths of the world and your own relationship with elementals and your ability to see into these other realms have allowed you to be the deliverer of this unique message. Any final thoughts before we sign off, Tannis? I think that the people who are going to be drawn to our talk, who are drawn to the book, that these people are probably the hybrids <laughs> we've been discussing, and uh, and somehow it's magnetized. We're we're magnetized to what we need. Yes, and uh, so yeah, I love just playing with this. I do too. I find it a very playful journey, and I would highly recommend people. Don't take it so seriously. You feel trapped again, just like we felt trapped as humans, um, as sinners, etc. Not to feel trapped in any one type. If you feel you express a little bit of everything, enjoy it and take from it this incredible composite of beauty that is us, that is humanity. That's what I would yeah. say. And, and I just add to that one thing that it can be that we are influenced by our father or our mother being yes. different beings and so we've learned from them and and bringing that into this personal life we have well and it gives another overlay to something that i have always believed through observation that when we incarnate we are incarnating much more heavily imprinted with one parent than the other but also with a soul trajectory a soul path that is usually stronger with one parent or another in terms of past incarnations and like you my primary relationship was with my father who also was a a very um intensely moral uh intelligent thoughtful human being that had a good overview of life and so with him I relate to him more as part of the star beings as well. So it's interesting, yet my son, while he has a lot of those same very high aspects of intelligence and being able to see the big picture, really appears more as a royal elf in the world. You know, so it's wow. all of, we're all of this. So again, um, thank you so much for writing this book. It's, and I'm just so happy to see your face and chat with you. And I look forward to see you, seeing you in the flesh one day. You're way up in a, an area of Canada that's a little bit remote and beautiful. So one day we'll get together. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tennis. I, I very much appreciate your work once again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. You're welcome.
So everybody, uh, the name of the book is Hybrids, So You Think You're Human by Tennis Hallowell. You can find it through Amazon and other major booksellers. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.